Welcome to Keystone Education Radio, the podcast for all things focused on education in Pennsylvania. Now here's your host, Annette Stevenson. Dyslexia is considered to be the most common cause of reading, writing, and spelling difficulties. And of people with reading challenges, 70 to 80% are likely to have some form of dyslexia. 5 to 10% of the population is estimated at having dyslexia, with the estimate running as high as 17 and even 20%. Many do not disclose their diagnosis, and others go undiagnosed, so these factors make it hard to determine the precise number who are challenged with this disability. So just how do students with dyslexia fare, and can they be taught to read? The answer is yes, they can be taught to read, and their level of success varies greatly depending upon how early they're identified and the literacy instruction that follows their diagnosis. It's a complex and multi-layered issue overall, so to help us understand more, here with me today is Daphne Yuliana. She's the founder of the Dyslexia and Literacy Network. Thanks for being with us, Daphne. Thank you for having me. Let's start by hearing a little bit about your organization. You are the founder. Uh, What's the catalyst? Where did this begin? And what kind of work do you do? So the Dyslexia and Literacy Network, I started about two years ago. And it came from my work. I was part of a group of parents and educators who helped get a pilot program passed here in Pennsylvania around screening children for early literacy and dyslexia. And as I was working on that project, the department put me on the advisory committee, and I was able to travel around with some other folks around the state, meet different parents, and um, work with different school districts. I realized that there really is a lack of awareness around dyslexia among school officials and also among the general public. And I just felt that it was important to try to change that in some way, shape, or form. Mm -hmm. And so I put this group together. Um, One of the other key points to this is that you quickly realize that as parents, we are our own best resource. And I learned a lot about what I needed to do for my kids from other parents who had been down this road before before me, and I thought it was important to try to formalize that structure a little bit so that we can help each other along the way. Absolutely. Parent network is important in any arena, and I'm sure in such a challenging area, even more so. Right. So how would you define dyslexia in sort of the broad and general way? So in a very simplified uh, terms, basically your brain is wired differently if you're dyslexic. It is a neurobiological condition, meaning you're born with it. It's hereditary. They've done scans of children's brains when they're reading, and a dyslexic child's brain will light up in different places versus a child who does not have dyslexia and reads. Mm -hmm. So it's just The wiring is just a little bit different and makes it difficult for children to learn to read, learn sounds and letters and letters combinations. That is, again, a very simplified definition. Mm -hmm. It's a hidden disability because when you see a child with dyslexia, you will talk to them. You will never realize that maybe this child can't read. And so in some ways, it makes it more difficult to um, diagnose in schools especially. Okay. And so then diving down just a little bit deeper, are there different forms of dyslexia or different degrees of it? There are different degrees of it. You can be mild, 
to severe and somewhere in between. And I have three children and I'm dyslexic myself, but all three of my children's dyslexia presented itself differently. And so that can add to the complication of actually discovering what it is that your child is struggling with. You mentioned that you are as well dyslexic, and so dyslexia is not something that is outgrown. It, it It's a condition that carries from birth or childhood through adulthood. Is that correct? That's correct. It's hereditary, and it can skip generations or it can skip siblings. So my older two siblings do not have dyslexia, or they might say every once in a while they might feel like they have a, a mild form of it. But it is hereditary. So normally if you're dyslexic, there's somewhat, somewhere, somehow, somebody else in your family that is dyslexic as well, which is getting back to trying to figure out what it is when a parent or is trying to figure out what their child's struggling with. For me, you know, I kind of knew because I knew my diagnosis, but um, I had a hard time. I was not somebody that could, could help my kids easily because I still struggle with letters and sounds, and I'm an adult. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> so I think it's always important to remember that. And when we do a lot of work, especially with the pilot program, we speak in these big education terms, and I keep saying, you need to, like, take this down a little bit, you mm-hmm. know, um, because, again, it's hereditary. And so there's a good likelihood that a parent, one or both parents, are dyslexic as well. You mentioned a pilot program that's part of your organization. So it is not part of my organization, but it is why I started this organization. I was part of a group of parents and educators who got the uh, dyslexia and early literacy screening pilot program passed here in Pennsylvania. And during our travels with being on the advisory committee for that pilot, I met all kinds of parents and, and school folks around the state. And I thought it was really important to bring more awareness around dyslexia for everyone, for parents, for the community, for the school community, because I always believe, you know, my mother was a school teacher. Um, She loved teaching. But teachers and administrators and the general public, they don't know what they don't know. And so it's really important to, I think, raise awareness in general about dyslexia, what it is and what it is not. But also with other folks that deal with, you know, the employers need to understand why maybe you need to um, have instructions on an, in an audio format. Uh, one thing that our group did, this is a little off subject, but one thing our group did was get the audio format of the Pennsylvania Driver's Manual um, online. Huh. Um, because Important. Yeah. So, and it came from, again, experience with my middle son who waited for a long time to get his driver's license. And because he's a pretty smart guy, he just got online and he just kept taking that test again and again and again. Mm-hmm. And until he got all the questions right, and then when we went in to take it, of course, he, he did really well, his, his written part of the test, except he couldn't tell you all the laws in Pennsylvania because he never read the, the book. And I thought, oh, boy. that's really, <laughs> you really yeah. kind of need to know that when you're on the road yeah. <laughs> driving. Um, so, you know, it's, it's things like that that I felt it's really important for, again, to raise awareness around dyslexia and then raise awareness around good literacy instruction. Great. Okay. So let's talk about the early detection aspect of it. How early can dyslexia be detected in children? So it can be early, and you had asked me before about the varying degrees. Dyslexia is on a on a spectrum. You can be mild to severe. And so you can, a child who's a three, four, five-year-old, you can be diagnosed with dyslexia. It's really about when a child is learning language and sounds, 
that's when it starts to show itself. So if a child can't put the letter and sound together, if they can't rhyme, if they don't know the ABCs by the time they're four and by five, that's usually a sign that something isn't um, right. Okay. Are there names or terms that are used for the different challenges that fall under sort of the umbrella of dyslexia? So there's sounds and symbols. Kids can't put those together. And there's trouble with reading comprehension. In the school world, sometimes they don't use the word dyslexia, but they call it a specific language disability in reading or reading comprehension. Okay. Understanding phonics, again, letter sounds are important, and putting the sounds together, phonemic awareness, all those things. Okay, so those might be some of the terms that one would see in describing the the various challenges. Yes. Okay. Yes. Good. Good to know. So your perception, is dyslexia an understood issue, or does it? do you think that it remains elusive to sort of the general public that might be unaffected by it? Because it is, first of all, hidden and hard to see, also because it can be mild to severe, and children can fool you. My oldest son, um, we didn't have diagnosed until he was in seventh grade, and that was because he could read. As far as I understood, I read to him. He would read back to me. What I didn't realize is that he had an incredible memory and was able to remember words. And so he had memorized so, so much of, of words, and he could do it well until he got into the fifth, sixth grade time when it got to be too much work for him and too much to, for him to remember. And, and at that point then, he became a little bit of a disruption in the, in the classroom, and the te- and teachers would say, well, he's disruptive, or he doesn't pay attention, and of course, by then, he's not doing homework, and that's sometimes when they get that old, the education world wants to put them in a different place than, and not really realize that maybe this child isn't reading. Mm-hmm. Um, my younger son, when he was diagnosed, he was diagnosed very early in first grade because he was... He was the kid who couldn't put the letters and sounds together. Mm, And so mm -hmm. that was really easy, right? We we could get to him, and he was easy, and he's the most severe of my kids who have dyslexia. So the severity is what stood out, in other words. Yeah. Okay. And because he was young, right? I mean, that was he just couldn't get those letters and sounds. And so that was, again, an easy, when you go back to that five, six, seven-year-old, if they can't put those letters and sounds together, that is a big red flag. Mm -hmm. Um, If they can't rhyme, again, uh, a red flag that they're not able to process those skills in their brain and the language. I'm sort of amazed by the fact of what you've just described, that your other son was memorizing words, I guess, and, and letters and words and combinations of letters, I guess, so that you were believing he was reading you know, you wonder where that comes from. Like, there's already this built-in element that the child feels they must rise to this occasion, you know, by a really tremendous workaround, right? All that memorization. Right, right. I mean, that's, that's sort of amazing to me. Right, and it's something he wasn't aware of. Um, mm. He's highly verbal. Another, both of my sons and my daughter are highly verbal. So, even at young, my older son, second, third, fourth grade, he could hold these incredible conversations with adults. But don't ask him to write anything down or read anything. Mm. And and how we really got to him, again, as he was becoming a discipline issue, a minor one, we realized he couldn't read. He didn't understand what he read. So he would read a sentence 
um, or read through a story and you would go back and ask him, so what's the story about? Can you summarize it for me? And he could not do that. But he could go through and tell you exactly what happened, you know, step by step, but he couldn't sort of step back and, and be able to you know, comprehend what the bigger picture was. Mm, okay. More just sort of recite what occurred, in yeah. other words. Mm-hmm. Okay. And he was a great listener. My other son is the same way. They can take in so much information through their ears, and you can go pretty far in elementary school until, again, you get to sixth, seventh grade where you have to do a little bit more reading on your own. Um, and that's when life got complicated for my older son. Mm. So if the condition or the symptoms that can be seen are not being detected at home or not being understood, where does the school come into play in detecting these challenges? One of the best things that schools could do is to, and I know many across Pennsylvania already do this, if not all of them, is screen early, as in early as in kindergarten for reading difficulties. And and I have to say that every child who struggles to read isn't necessarily dyslexic. Mm-hmm. You know, there's this saying, not all kids who struggle to read are dyslexic, but all dyslexics will struggle to read. Mm. So again, if they could screen all children in kindergarten for reading difficulties and then understand what the screeners are saying to them. When I first started down this journey about five or six years ago, I met with some folks to try to do my research, and and a lot of people in schools would say, we are screening, we are doing these things. But from what I found out later, it was the next step that really needed some work, which is they are screening, but then they have to take that information that the screener is telling them and then alter how they are teaching the kids to read. Not everybody's going to be at the same level, but you have to be able to look at it as a whole and try to sort out where is this kid weak, where is this this child strong, and try to drive your instruction that way, which probably sounds incredibly overwhelming, but, you know, probably is easier said than done, I guess. Yeah. And so we're talking a lot about detection, but once detected, is there a way to teach children who have this condition in a way where they can accomplish the learning needed through their educational years? Yes. And so one of the important points that our group also would like to get across is about reading instruction in general for all kids. Mm -hmm. But it's about going back to the basics of learning letters and sounds, phonemic awareness. And it's something called structured literacy, where you systematically go through the English language, learn the structure of it, learn about, again, letters and sounds, how they work together, why they work together. There are lots of rules to the English language that kids are capable of learning, adults are capable of learning. And we have found through the pilot program that once teachers are trained in this, they were excited about it and wondered why wasn't I taught this earlier in my teaching career. And they would Students are excited about it. kids learning, even kindergartens learning the sounds, letters, the structure of the language. That's the start, and that's good for all kids. And for a kid who's mildly dyslexic, that's awesome. But the hope is that if teachers are trained in this method, structured literacy, again, and teaching explicitly the letters and sounds, that that helps all kids. And then kids who are mildly dyslexic will pick up. And then an interventionist will also already know how to teach a child who is dyslexic because a dyslexic child will show themselves in a way that they will, they're not going to pick up some of these things as quickly as some other child who maybe is just struggling to read for another reason. Okay. 
So is it accurate to say that when they're taught in this way, that they are actually reading then? What they're accomplishing is learning to read. Is that accurate? It's accurate. It's it's the first steps. Okay. There are other steps to reading. You have to then go on to talk about reading comprehension. You have to learn about vocabulary and background knowledge. And so, you know, reading is very is a very complicated process. And I'm not sure if you're familiar with uh, Dr. Scarborough, who is actually from Pennsylvania, and she developed something called the reading rope. Hmm. And it's this great image of a rope and all the strands of the rope all these different pieces that have to come together for someone to learn to read and how once a child learns all these things, then it comes together and you can learn to read. So that's just the beginning of reading. There are other pieces to it. Um, But you got to start there. And then you can move on to vocabulary and background knowledge and learning about what the main idea is and, and inferences and things like that. Yeah. And with reading being such the foundation for all learning, you know, kids start at school and they're taught to read, and then they use their reading to learn the other subjects throughout, you know, their educational years. So how can they move forward without that, right? Correct. And there is some research out there about math and and that if a child learns to read and can read well, that the math scores would also increase because they actually will understand what those word problems are asking of them. So... That's another reason, right, to really advocate again for good reading instruction early. Um, We all know we can detect lots of things early, and reading is another one of those things. Right. And so dyslexia is really one element out of kind of the bigger literacy conversation, I guess. Right, right. And, and, you know, people are puzzled about why am I a dyslexic mom talking about reading instruction? And that's because a lot of the research that was done around reading and what good reading instruction is and how people learn to read came from studying kids and adults with dyslexia so they could understand where are the holes, what makes the difference, how are people actually learning to read. Okay, that makes total sense. Are there resources for schools who feel they need support, ensuring that their students' needs are being met, maybe just in the broader literacy arena, but also more specifically with dyslexia? What are the resources out there that schools can look to? So actually, because we've done the pilot here in Pennsylvania, on the Patton website, there is a page devoted to the pilot program, and they have a lot of really good information um, for parents and for schools who are interested in learning more and, and want to do more. I know that Patton does offer training as well as some of the IUs around structured literacy, so those are some good resources. And, of course, I also am part of a group called the Literacy Coalition, and we are just getting ourselves up and started, and we're going to talk a lot about that as well. We'll have some some things on our website There's also the Learning Disabilities Association and the IDA International Dyslexia Association that has lots of good information and resources on there. But again, back to Pennsylvania, the Patton website, there's something called the Dyslexia Literacy Pilot Program, and there's some stuff specifically around this issue. Lastly, a question with respect to the educators that you've worked with and spoken with that have been really appreciative of of having a better understanding So this is not a part of, let's say, a normal curriculum as a young college student is preparing to become a teacher. This type of knowledge would not necessarily be built into their their four years of undergraduate studies. Is that correct? That's correct. There are some schools in in Pennsylvania specifically that are 
are, ch- are changing that and are working to change that. There's a, quite a number in Philadelphia because the Philadelphia School District has really made reading a uh, priority for them. Uh, there are some schools in uh, the western part of the state, some colleges that offer this as part of their master's programs. We would love to see it in their any kind of teacher certificate, mm-hmm. you know, K through 12, mm-hmm. put that in in all of them. So it's changing slowly but surely, but there are still lots of folks out there who don't have this knowledge and lots of schools that are turning out teachers that don't don't know anything about dyslexia, don't know anything about the science of reading and the reading brain. And again, it's something that needs to change. It's, it's just really, really important. And would the same resources you mentioned before be applicable to parents if parents are looking for more information? So some of them, yes. So the patent website, again, has some good stuff. Um, mm-hmm. Our network site, the Dyslexia and Literacy Network, our site has some good information and handouts and about things that you can ask your school for and mm-hmm. to sort to walk a parent through our goal is to try to walk a parent through the process of my child's struggling to read, now what? Now what do we do? Um, how do we get help? And and I think as we had discussed before, some of the issues for identifying children with dyslexia is parents don't always understand what they're seeing at home. And unless you are familiar with it, you're not always going to understand what you're seeing. And it's best you know, to try to do some research and get more information. On that sort of topic about not knowing what they're seeing, can you describe just a few things that would fall under that category of things that a parent might see in their child that, you know, should be sort of a prompter for them to go looking? So some things are hesitation to go to school, crying, they don't want to go to school, not doing homework, Again, go back to letters and sounds. Can they do those things? My one son would find everything and anything to do in the classroom, and he would go to the bathroom a million times and mm, yeah. go get up and get a tissue mm-hmm. and all these other things to distract him from having to sit there and focus on mm-hmm. on reading in any way, shape, or form. Mm-hmm. Okay. That's helpful. And obviously those signs can be for other reasons as well, but but good to know that there's, you know, when combined perhaps with other challenges that the parent might be seeing, you know, it's time to kind of look for information at least. Right, right. Well, this was so helpful and a great overview of what obviously is a, a big, broad, and complicated topic. But what we'll do is feature some resources on our podcast website for parents and schools that are looking for more information. So we'll be glad to include those resources that you mentioned. But I want to thank you, Daphne, for being with us today as part of our podcast. Thank you. Thank you for your interest in this subject. This podcast is brought to you by the Pennsylvania School Boards Association and was sponsored in part by CM Regent and Step-by-Step Learning. Listeners, I encourage you to go to our website at keyedradio.org for more on today's discussion. Also check out our site for past episodes covering a wide range of other education-related topics. This is Annette Stevenson saying thank you for listening to Keystone Education Radio. The views and opinions expressed on the Keystone Education Radio podcast are solely the views and opinions of our guests and do not reflect the views and opinions of the Pennsylvania School Boards Association. Thank you.